Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Charlotte Readers Podcast is also supported by the novel Deadly Declarations, available in print and audiobook wherever books are sold, and an ebook on Amazon Kindle. Written by Landis Wade and narrated by Bill A. Jones, Deadly Declarations is a light-hearted legal thriller that delves into a 250-year-old colonial mystery that Founding Father John Adams called one of the greatest curiosities and one of the deepest mysteries that ever occurred to him. For reviews and information about Deadly Declarations, please visit LandisWade.com. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode 299, we visit with Sandra L. Young, author of Divine Vintage, a novel where vintage clothes reveal what the ghosts who wore them want the world to know. Tess Burton is always up for an adventure, and she's risked her inheritance to launch Divine Vintage Clothing Boutique. While modeling an elegant gown for an Edwardian trousseau, her mind is open to a century-old murder. Visions, seen through the eyes of the murdered bride, Dispute local lore that claims the bridegroom committed the crime, causing Tess and her new friend Trey Dunmore to use the clothes to try to right the perceived wrong. Catherine Lanigan, international best-selling author, says this about the book. In Divine Vintage, Sandra Young walks us back into time to a murder-suicide mystery in 1913 that will keep the reader as spellbound as the lovely vintage clothing the author so adroitly describes. Well-written and woven with enough sensual tension to strum any romantic's heartsprings, I give Divine Vintage five stars. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for spending some of your valuable time with us. We very much appreciate it, uh, and thank you for being here. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author, turned podcaster of books and stories, and love interviewing authors about their books and sharing that uh, with you, the listener. I also love how interviewing more than 300 authors on this podcast has helped my own writing journey. I've learned quite a bit from these talented guests. And if you'd like to learn more about my books and uh, what I've done with that uh, knowledge, you can uh, check out LandisWade.com. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter there. And uh, also, please follow me on BookBub. And for everything related to Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. Now, let's get to the episode. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Landis. I've been so looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, and congratulations on the book, Divine Vintage. Why, thank you, and equal congr- congratulations, too, on Deadly Declarations coming out. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, let's start a little bit about uh, you um, and your obsession. I'm going to use that word with vintage, <laughs> with vintage clothes. Uh, from your website, you say, I fell head over heels for vintage clothing while acting in dozens of community theater productions. Through the years, I had fun growing my own sizable collection and I wear delectable items for special occasions and on stage, which, by the way, I've seen on Instagram recently. So talk about the size of your collection and what you have in it. 
Oh, my collection fills a small bedroom. And I have three industrial clothing racks from New York City that are uh, filled with clothing. I have boxes that have uh, accessories and jewelry and hats. And it's just, it's, it's so wonderful. I mean, I just have everything from, as I said, aprons to earrings and dozens of dresses and suits and coats. and uh, But, you know, truly, I've never really spent a ton of money on this collection because I used to be able to go to Goodwill and other um, thrift shops and things like that and find really good deals until people realize what this clothing is worth and its artistic value. So over the years, it hasn't cost me that much to amass it, and I have moved a lot through my collection, but I still just love it. And so that really inspired me along with the, the theater to write Divine Vintage. Yeah. So these are, it's a collection kind of late 1800s into the 1900s that we're talking about here? It really is. I was able through one of my local theaters when they were cleaning out a costume shop one day, I came in and they said here and handed me a plastic bag full of late Victorian garments, these big balloon leg sleeves and such. And a I never could have put my hands on such things, and they were just free, given to me. So I do have things that go back that far. And even now, would you believe, Landis, that the 1990s are vintage? Because vintage is seen as 20 years uh, by by some experts to 25 years. So our our old clothes are are vintage already. So my vintage blue jeans that I still have there, uh, they can't they count. <laughs> Yes, and they're worth money, especially if they're like, if you had some old <laughs> no. Levi's or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, they're probably a bit worn out. But uh, So you must have been the type that uh, dressed up as a youngster. You know, I really was. My mom was a clothes horse, and we liked to go shopping. And where I, when I was growing up, I, everybody was in their jeans and had their straight hair. Well, you know, I had the big curly hair, and uh, and I was wearing some nicer clothing. I was just always into it and into the color and the style. And I really do see it as a way to express your personality. So I I have a pretty big collection of, of regular clothing too. But again, I'm a thrift shopper. I mean, I'm, I go to the treasure sale. I just worked this morning at my church putting things out. That way I get first dibs on the great new stuff and the vintage jewelry I picked up too. We're going to come back to the close uh, through the course of the show here, but I, I have to tell you, Sandy, I've interviewed over 300 authors on Charlotte's podcast, uh, and I've talked to them about where they get the inspiration for their plots, and uh, they come in all different ways. But I have to tell you, I've yet to have an author who got the inspiration from the clothes themselves. So talk about how that came about. You know, strangely, it was uh, a few years ago, I really did wake up out of a dream, a hazy dream that had a vintage clothing connection. And for some reason, I hadn't really been writing for a long time because I was doing so much theater, you know, 75 shows over several years. And that just packed my time. So I sat down and poured out three novellas with vintage clothing links. And I wrapped them around other elements I enjoyed, the romance and mystery. And um, I, I tried to, uh, you know, put those together as a book and then finally realized, especially with Catherine Lanigan, she was uh, already a very popular author. I mean, she wrote Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile as the ghostwriter for those you know, movie uh, books. And so she encouraged me to turn Divine Vintage into an actual novel. 
So I worked on it and over the years I'd come back to it as my writing improved and the book would get better. And the vintage clothing aspect really stayed so key to it. And that aspect of it being the catalyst for these visions to the past, I think really is something different that a lot of readers are saying, wow, this is such a unique book. It's got so many, it's got so many genres, a lot going on, but it's all pulled together and they're really enjoying uh, especially if they like fashion, the vintage mm. aspect. Yeah, I loved R- *Romancing the Stone*. A great, great movie. And, and I was just thinking as you were talking about how, you know, when when and I'm not a clothes hound, but I mean, when you put on clothes, <laughs> if you put on nice clothes or, or whatever, or you're going to an event and you're wearing clothes, it does somehow change the way you feel about yourself. So clothes can have that kind of impact, right? So maybe they could also cause you to think about, uh, hey, maybe. Maybe these clothes know something about what happened in the past. Well, you think about it. These clothes actually did live through stories. We yeah. don't know the stories necessarily. The cool thing is, too, again, I haven't spent a lot of money over the past few years and especially last you know, decade on the vintage. But a lot of people I know gift things to me. They're family pieces and they say, I want somebody who will appreciate them. It's almost like I curate them and I do presentations and use them and and, uh, lovingly cherish them. So when they pass these on to me, I do hear the story sometimes like, you know, this is the dress my mom wore for her wedding in you know, the 1940s, and it's a, a war era dress, so it's not a fancy white lace dress. But these, some of these stories do come down to me. And I think that's really wonderful. And, you know, to pique my imagination, to look at the different pieces that I have. Uh, yeah, it, it's just really fun. And some of them are from my own family. They're things of my mom's that she treasured and kept, and things of my grandma's. The pieces behind me I think that might have been my grandma's. I found it at my dad's house the other day. And, uh, you know, it's just really a lot of fun to me to pull that all together. Yeah, you sort of changed the cliche of, you know, if I, if I could only have been a fly on the wall, you're sort of like now, if only I could have been some clothing, uh, you know, on her back, you know, so, so to speak. <laughs> a hanger, a hanger in her closet. <laughs> exactly. So, so on your website, and I'll share this with the listeners too, they can go to your uh, website, uh, which um, we'll have linked in the show notes. Uh, they're going to see some of the clothing that we're talking about. You have a, uh, you know, and you said vintage. You talk, There's a 1960s brocade. It's a green dress, kind of tight, tight fitting around the waist, but it flares out, uh, has a short uh, arms at the top. And then there's, uh, you say there's beaded sweaters. You've got a picture of that, which appears in the novel in several places. That beaded sweater looks older though. I'm looking, is the one I'm looking at sort of, you said you found that at, at a flea market. That one yeah. is older. That's a, uh, probably more of a fifties beaded sweater. And I do have okay. a few of those, uh, as I said, I really, it was fun too, that when I was writing the novel, there were pieces, as I said, in my collection that I would look and they would inspire me to describe them. And I tried not to go overboard on the clothing. I didn't mm-hmm. want it to be just, uh, all this description of clothing because you would bog people down. So I like to treat it like uh, a lace ruffle on a dress where it just, you give people a little picture, then they can take it a little farther and you keep your action and your plot moving forward. Mm -hmm. And it appears to be working because the comments again coming in and the reviews are saying how much they are enjoying the fashion and Mm -hmm. that they can tell that I have such a love for it. 
Yeah, now that, that comes through in the book. And before, we're going to have to leave the clothes in a minute to get to the plot of the book here. But uh, before we do, I'm looking at the book cover. And this this dress on the cover, uh, interesting, you can't see the face of the person who's wearing the dress. Uh, but this one does look more, I don't know, 18th, uh, you know, I mean, earlier 1900s or late 1800s. I can't be exact, but she's wearing the white gloves. Uh, got a little brooch there and everything. So this is more the clothing that uh, would have been featured in the book itself, right? It's This is a little bit more toward that early Victorian era because yeah, yeah. the book has dual timelines with the 1913 elements coming through from uh, the earlier couple, you know, the earlier uh, murder bride. And so you are seeing uh, their romance growing, of course, in that dual timeline. And then you have that modern day of them trying to solve the mystery as well. And so this dress is maybe, I think, a teeny bit older than, you know, the that 1913, because fashion was starting to uh, to trend a little differently. But at the same time, it certainly pulls up that Edwardian kind of feel. And I was really wanting to focus on on the clothing as being that uh, that link in the entire book. So I was very pleased by the cover. And again, feedback has been positive toward it. Yes. And, and purple. Are you drawn to purple as a color? Purple is one of my favorite colors. I do love it. In fact, my engagement ring is a, an amethyst because I wanted to be non-traditional. And so I do tend to lean toward purples. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the story a little bit. Your main character is Tess Burton. Uh, as you say, she's always up for an adventure. She's risked her inheritance to launch uh, uh, this fictitious clothing store, Divine Vintage Clothing Boutique. Um, talk a little bit about her and uh, sort of what her goals and desires are and, uh, in, in life and then sort of what she runs up against uh, early in this book. Well, Tess is uh, uh, young at 28, and she is she is a spunky character, uh, very likable, and but she's also she's suffering from a lack of confidence because she'd had a previous relationship where the guy was one of those controllers who just wanted to beat her down and say you can't you can't open this store, you don't have the wherewithal to do this, and so she came out of that she finally dumped him, but she came out of that with doubts. And so that's overriding. Even though she's decided, I'm going to do this, she just has this feeling um, of connection to her late grandmother and their love of vintage clothing that she wants to open this shop, but it's something she has to overcome. So that's also the women's fiction elements that come through in this story as well. And I also love building in for her a social justice element. There is that homeless plot line, which one of the characters who is integral to the the uh, mystery is homeless. Uh, you know, when we meet him, and that's very important to me too because I worked as in nonprofit management. I ran a coalition that we tried to work on the on uh, bettering uh, the the situation for the homeless, getting him into homes, helping those at risk, and so that kind of naturally fell is that I wanted to give Tess that same kind of leaning toward uh, wanting to care about others, you know, mm -hmm. and help others out. And uh, I think you have to build a lot of emotion and empathy for a character. And I think that also gives us as authors a little platform, too, that we can take advantage of raising an important issue to the forefront. So I guess I used her as a little voice on that. And with Tess, you see her evolve. 
Mm-hmm. And her confidence does grow as the shop is, you know, taking off. And uh, then, of course, she's entering new romance, and that's always a challenge, too. Yeah, I was going to say, enter Trey Dunmore, who, uh, you know, is the, the, the handsome man who happens to be single. That's that's quite convenient, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you have and, to and, have that. <laughs> yeah, and, and they meet. So, so when you're writing this, how much of it were you thinking about being uh, sort of romance related and how much uh, mystery related? Were you trying to balance that as you wrote it? You know, interestingly, uh, when I initially wrote it, it truly wasn't a mystery. When she saw that first vision, she knew who did it. And she just wanted to convince right. them that she'd seen it and, and to ha- try to pursue the truth, you know, the the truth behind what happened, you know, to prove it. And I realized mystery is so important in stories. I love mysteries and thrillers, and I love elements in, the, in my books. So I thought, why haven't I turned this into a mystery? So as I fleshed out the 1913 dual timeline through the journal entries and the visions, I introduced all these other potential suspects. And so there you had the mystery. And so initially, I would say it was definitely a stronger romance. But I feel like, yes, the mystery and the paranormal uh, elements all balance, which is why it's hard to pigeonhole it, though. You know, you you can't call it a pure romance because people who just want a rom-com romance, that's not what it is. Um, It's not a thriller, although people have said there's suspense, but it's not heightened, heightened suspense. So it walks its own mix of genres, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unique. I mean, there are not many books where clothes are speaking to people and where they're (laughs) solving a mystery that way. And then, of course, you throw in a little romance. That's fine. Hey, okay, look, uh, this is a... Charlotte's podcast where authors give voice to the written words. You've got a little reading you're going to do. Um, uh, you're going to start near the beginning of the book, I believe. Uh, so I don't know how much you need to set up beyond what you said, but if you want to set it up a little bit before you read it, that's fine too. Okay, great. Well, I am going to just start at the very beginning and uh, it's going to immediately make sense to people actually, because uh, we just start with Tess right there in her shop. Tess Burton swept a handful of frothy fabric up to the mid-morning light that streamed through the shop's bay window. The flapper gown was perfect, with no moth holes or stains. Cradling the dress in both hands, she walked toward her new assistant. I let my heart rule and pushed my price limit when I bought this yesterday. Attending auctions and estate sales was a perk of her new adventure. On this sunny Tuesday in early May, they were prepping to offer Divine Vintages Finds to Michigan City, Indiana. Tessa's smile faded in recalling the responsibilities attached to a new business, a decades-old building, a very part-time employee, and a bank loan. Her fingers tightened on the dress. If Divine Vintage failed, she'd lose her dream career along with her inheritance. She could end up a bag lady at 28, wandering the streets with a knock-off knapsack. She tried to shove back the insecurities as she reached a glass case that served as a central display and checkout counter. Don't. Panic. Focus on the positives. You sure can't beat shopping in the name of business, she said, though she would have to avoid future splurges. One hand on a stack of beaded sweaters, Marcy Alexander paused. She straightened to a height of six feet, her slim yet curvy frame topped by a mass of curling auburn hair. Imagine a 1920s debutante floating down a staircase in such a showstopper. That dress is worth every cent. I totally agree. I can't resist a garment when its history speaks to me. 
Without a warning, Tess found herself submerged into a vision of the beaded aqua gown swishing around the calves of the first proud owner. An elusive tune played in her ears, followed by a burst of laughter. Her breathing sped up, as if she were dancing a foxtrot with a dashing partner. As she and the man twirled toward the center of the dance floor, an exotic fragrance wafted from the fabric of the dress. Tess clutched the dress to her chest and spun in a wide circle. The sounds and scent faded. She stopped and blinked, and the world came back into focus. Yes, she really was standing in the middle of her new shop ten minutes before their initial opening. Marcy clapped her hands, jangling the stack bracelets on her wrist. You're the belle of the ball, she grinned and resumed, folding a sweater. To calm the lingering sense of dizziness, Tess dipped her head and hid her relief. Marcy's artistic leanings left her unbothered by her boss's sometimes quirky behavior. Others might label her a nut job. She'd never shared how her, her imagination soared when she handled the most appealing vintage items. Trying on a wedding gown that dripped with lace, she'd experienced the radiant confidence of a 1950s bride. Steaming a chiffon prom dress called up a nervous, perspiring teen with a beehive hairdo. These were never fleeting images, but deeper, heart-tugging responses. She experienced an unexplainable empathy where, for a few pulsing seconds, she almost became these women. <laughs> that's great. Just for a few seconds, she almost became these women. Um, <laughs> There's your setup. We'll leave <laughs> them hanging. That's right. That, that'll lead you into the rest of the, to, of the book there. So, um, you know, as I was thinking about uh, uh, this book and, you know, what you did with it and the fact that you're so into vintage clothing, you've also been in community theater. I mean, did you come into writing um, based on the idea of the vintage clothes or were you already writing and the vintage clothes just gave you the prompt that you needed? How, how did you get to this idea of writing this novel? The writing was always first. I grew up on a farm, so fairly isolated in central Illinois, and I read. I read books constantly and I loved them. And they, they sent me to other worlds, which was you know really cool because it was kind of, again, lonely out there. And... I also wanted to write. So very young, I started writing. And eventually, I was doing some poetry. I was doing some short stories. I was published in my college anthology with a short story. But then once I got into theater, as I said, and I moved to Indiana, then the theater became so consuming because it was just so much fun. And I was meeting people, and I needed to meet people. And that's a great way to connect with other creative artistic types. And, but I continued to read and I wrote, but my writing was PR, marketing, because I was doing that in my jobs too throughout. So I still was writing, which was great, but not that fun, uh, fun piece. I actually started as a newspaper journalist, by the way. <laughs> and uh, eventually, it's, this has been like about a dozen years ago, this book this is idea with the vintage clothing just grabbed me by the neck and I sat down and I started pouring the words out and I was so happy. Literally, I was so thrilled. I was telling all my friends, I'm writing, I'm writing. And it's just having so much fun. And it's just from then on, the writing really became more dominant. And the singing too, actually my singing, I'm doing a lot more singing over these past dozen years. So those, those have uh, kind of taken over my theater. Well, this is a good example um... And for listeners who are thinking about uh, what they're going to write, uh, you've taken, uh, though you've been a writer for many years, you've t 
to turn it into your, your novel here, your debut novel, you took a topic uh, that you really loved and were fascinated by. And that's what you kind of need, I think, to give you the energy to sit your butt in the chair for as much as it takes to, to write a novel. Am I, am I on the right track there? You are, because you well know it's daunting. When you really think about all those pages, I mean, usually you know 300 plus pages that you have to pour out. And thankfully at the time, you don't think about editing it either and going back and again, making it better or trying to get it published. If you are a first time, like we're debuts, um, those things aren't, there in your mind. It's just the story is there, the story burns. And didn't you find, Landis, when you sat down and started writing it, just it was so fun. The characters just popped out. I'm a pantser. I'm not one who outlines the whole thing. It just, I sit down and I start writing and I, I go with the flow and that, the characters will take me places. Yeah. For those who haven't heard that term before, pantser means you're writing by the seat of your pants. And outliner is, of course, outliner. I think I've, I think I've, define myself now as a pants liner, which fits into your vintage closing. <laughs> you know, I do a little pantsing. I do a little outlining. I don't necessarily do them in the same order, but uh, you're right. It uh, you, you got to uh, enjoy what you're doing to make it happen, which all of this is a great segue into our writing life segment. I have a couple of questions about that I want to ask you. Um, point of view, you chose third person, but you use a diary and also dreams where the characters learn about the people whose clothes they are wearing uh, through scenes that they see in their dreams. Uh, it's a nice technique to break from the normal narrative. And I wondered where you got the idea and, uh, you know, whether you're writing those scenes at the same time you're writing these other scenes or whether you went back later and kind of wrote that narrative separately from the, from the narrative in the present. I did grow the journal much, much more as I went in, as I said, and I kept again, attending uh, especially webinars by the Women's Fiction Writers and Writer's Digest and all that. So I kept really bettering my craft. And as I was going in, I thought, you know, this 1913 storyline is really compelling and Phoebe needs to have more voice. And so I really built her as a character and Edward, her, you know, eventual husband and the others. And that was a lot of fun, too, to go in and totally different voice because of the time when you're writing 1913, you know, we're much more casual and free, including in our clothing than we were in 1913. So to build those two different worlds and have them merge was so fun. I will say in my sequels, there will be separate chapters. You know, I will not use the same journal kind of an aspect. There will be separate historical chapters because I really do like historical fiction a lot. And so I want to keep those aspects too. And I do like third person myself. I like to write in third rather than first. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, I was, I was also curious. I'm, the listeners obviously can't see this in audio podcast, but uh, we can see each other as we record this, and it looks like you're sitting in a closet with a bunch of uh, clothes, or maybe they're on a rack behind you. I'm just wondering, uh, when you're writing this novel, Divine Vintage, did you have clothes surrounding you that you could kind of feel and touch from time to time and kind of get inspired by? Well, they've always been there in my house and around me, definitely. Now, now my office uh, does have... Uh, this the bedroom where I've turned it totally into an office. You know, this is a rack of clothing, one of my racks here, you know, in my office. Before, where I had my desk, I wasn't surrounded by the clothing, but it was always there. Every day, you know, I was seeing it. And 
Yeah, I was wearing it too. I mean, I've got something vintage on today, even though only you can see me. I feel like anytime I go out and speak now, I want to wear the vintage clothing because that's my persona. That is the brand that I'm really pursuing uh, with with these early books and uh, my entertain entertaining pieces with the theater and the singing and the vintage clothing. Yeah, that's why my wife ordered me a, a tricorn hat and an 18th century vest and a shirt so I can be Captain Jack, you know, so for the... Well, you, yeah, absolutely, you should, because people <laughs> yeah. will really enjoy that. When yeah. you go out, and when I've done my, my first launch party, and I have another, you know, formal launch party, and then, I, like I said, I have several presentations, one next week, uh, you know, coming up, uh, people, I, I encourage them to wear things, too. So sometimes there was the most adorable little 93-year-old woman who came. She's a mother of one of my neighbors and came to my launch. And she was wearing this little mob cap. And she was just cute as could be. And she was a little tiny thing. And I said, you know what? You are just the embodiment of one of the characters in my book. You know, Esther, who is almost, well, she's almost 80. But she's a little, you know, little uh, tiny woman like that. And I thought that was so fun. Yeah. And, you know, while we're talking about uh, writing, um, you know, there's the craft of writing and then there's sort of the side of writing when it comes to selling books. You and I actually met in a uh, uh, we're, we're part of this. Uh, I don't know what do we call it, a writer support group. Lainey Cameron and Charlotte Dune kind of moderate it, run it. And authors come from around the country, get together and uh, you know, talk about you know what we're doing, what's on our mind, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure you have just as I have learned. Uh, many things about the publishing industry through these uh, interactions. I definitely have. That group has been great. And it's fun because we're Zooming, we see each other. And I'm also very involved in the 22 Debuts groups. There's actually two of them. The one I'm most involved is called 2022 Debuts. And that's traditionally published uh, adult fiction writers. Mm. And that's a Facebook-based group. And there's oh, maybe 150 writers or so in that. And then there's a Slack-based group that is closer to probably 400 uh, debuts in 22, and they include middle grade and young adult authors too, mm -hmm. a, pre a preponderance of them. So we also support each, gr each other greatly. I mean, we're just constantly sharing information. I pulled together about a dozen of us from our press that I picked up were newbies too and reached out to them and said hey guys do you want to talk on Facebook because I felt like I needed the support myself I didn't have authors around me in my area that I could just you know bounce this off of and and at my press and you know without bogging down everybody else so I have found other writers to be so generous and wonderful and I actually just enrolled for the women fiction writers uh, retreat in Albuquerque I'm going to go in September and meet some of these people that's great. Yeah. So on the writing side itself, flipping back to that for a second, um, you know, I ask this of authors sometimes who've written a number of books, but it, it applies to debut authors too, because it takes a while to write, rewrite, go through the publishing process. If you could tell your younger writing self, that is the person when you started writing this novel, something helpful that had you known it when you got started based on what you know now, what might it be? I would say build your social media presence and your brand early, girl. Don't you be waiting and hanging behind the scenes. Even though I was a theater person and uh, very 
very much my face in the public with the jobs I did because I was a director of a healthy communities initiative. And I was also the vice president of a community foundation before I retired. So I had a lot of connections, which I'm using now, but I was real low key on social media. I wasn't on Instagram. I didn't tweet. And so I had to jump on over the past year and get myself I built, you know, a good Instagram platform. I've gotten much more active on Facebook, which has resulted in a lot of local sales. And I would say, get out there and build it. I had to build a website, which I hadn't done. And have faith in yourself that this is going to happen and that you need to be marketing yourself and have your persona early. Because no matter, even if you're with a big five publisher, which very few people are, You've got to market to. You've got to be out there and be the face and the uh, cheerleader for your book. Otherwise, yes. people will never know it exists. And there are going to be love readers who love your book. And they're going to be really pleased that it came through their orbit. And, you know, through you, your own initiative, you can make that happen. Yeah, that's great advice. Have a good website. It's your home base. It's uh, where people can find you and learn more about you. It's it's good to have. All right, so before we wrap up uh, this interview, I want to let our listeners know that uh, uh, Sandy and I are going to be jumping over to Patreon in just a few minutes to record an episode for our Patreon supporters. This will be a segment we're doing, uh, 10 minutes of reading and writing tips. Uh, you can join us uh, at Patreon and help support the podcast for maybe what it costs to get a cup of coffee and uh You'll get a lot of extra content when you do. Just check out Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast and uh, join us there. So, Sandy, as we wrap up here, um, what's next for you in your writing? You mentioned a sequel. Are you already working on something? I am indeed working on a sequel. It's Tessa's shop assistant, Marcy. She is going to get her story. And it has, believe it or not, a plot line at a little theater. Ah. And it's a theater in my community because I didn't mention Landis real quickly that I did set the book in our county as also an homage to the wonderful people and work that I've been able to do in the theater in our area. So I'm going to keep her in the county and uh, same romantic and mystery and ghostly elements. There you go. All right. That's great. Well, look, uh, Sandy, I want to thank you for uh, coming on and sharing your story and your story of Divine Vintage. Well, thank you. It's been a great time. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.